any more than one can claim to know China without ever having read Confucius, or one can understand the Middle East without coming to grips with the figure of Muhammad. Jesus is the founder, the founding figure, however we understand that, of the largest world religion and the world's largest religion. Understanding the religious behavior of two billion Christians involves, in some level, understanding their allegiance to Jesus, why they have that allegiance, what they understand by that allegiance. And although Christians are deeply and often disastrously divided on many points, and even disagree about the significance of this one, all Christians agree that the human Jesus is somehow the measure of their identity, the model of what their humanity should be. By any standard, Jesus is one of history's most fascinating, compelling, and elusive figures. There is a reason why the Bible remains the all-time best-selling book, and it isn't the book of Leviticus. It is the Gospels people want to understand about Jesus. There is a reason why any book with Jesus in its title sells well at Borders and Barnes and Noble. There is a reason why people like you sign up for courses like this. Jesus is an attractive and fascinating figure about whom people want to know. Now, since Jesus is a historical figure, that is, he is a real human being who lived in a particular time, first century, um, and in a particular place in Palestine, people generally assume that the methods of history provide the best access to learning about Jesus. And in fact, since the time of the Enlightenment, the major project of religious scholarship was the so-called quest for the historical Jesus that was classically described by Albert Schweitzer in his book by that title in 1906. Now, I call this an Enlightenment project. Remember, in the Enlightenment, the epistemology was reduced to what can be verified, so that if we're talking about the world today, genuine knowledge has to do with what can be empirically verified in natural science. If we're talking about the past, it has to do with what can be empirically verified by historical sources. And so the quest was purportedly a neutral one to find out who Jesus really was in historical terms, quite apart from what was regarded as the covering over of Jesus by centuries of Christian belief, the perspective of the resurrection, the dogma of the church. So the idea was to find out who Jesus really was, and history was the means of getting at this. This first quest for the historical Jesus was the quest pushed by Enlightenment figures in the expectation that they would be able to describe a life of Jesus. Who was he? Who did he think he was? How did his life develop? in the full expectation that what they would find would be a liberal and enlightened figure, much like themselves, rather than the semi-divine figure who is proclaimed uh, from the pulpit. Now, that first quest, as Schweitzer showed us, involved first a decision about the nature of history. 
And we find this in the absolutely first classic work in this quest by David Friedrich Strauss in 1835, The Life of Jesus Critically Examined. And Strauss made the fundamental decision that history has to do with human events in time and space. Quite right. It, is, uh, an, you know, it, it has to do with empirical existence. And that if history has to do with human events in time and space, then we must bracket the miraculous. We must bracket the supernatural in the case of Jesus, just as we would in the case of Napoleon. So the first decision was, what can history do? It cannot deal with the miraculous or claims to divinity and so forth. So notice, however, that that methodological exclusion tended to become, in fact, a denial of the miraculous. It is perfectly correct to say that history can't get at supernatural things. It's quite another to say that history is the only way of knowing reality. But that was the